Good morning. It's interesting when Meredith led the song. Um, I want to read a scripture that goes along with that. It's in Hebrews. I was reading it this morning and felt led to read it and then question. And after the song was sung, I thought, yes, need to read this. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Jesus was in the beginning. He didn't happen on Christmas Day, okay? And he, meaning Jesus, is the radiance of his glory, God's glory, and the exact representation of his nature. That's who went to the cross for us. Join me as we pray. Father, thank you for choosing us to be in you. And Father, this morning as we come before you as a congregation, knowing that as we sit here, we literally sit, sit in the presence of a mighty God, Jehovah, Yahweh, Jesus Christ the risen. Oh, Father, we, there's so much in our tradition when we come to church and even read scripture. We read it as though we've read it a hundred times, which we have. But Father God, this morning, I pray that the power that is in that word at the beginning that brought all things into being, and by your Holy Spirit, you, we have been sealed by that same power. And you want to empower each of us. Father, this morning, we need your rhema word of what your word really is. Tim can preach till he's red, blue, whatever, but unless your Holy Spirit reveals what he is saying to our hearts, it's just words. Father, as we prepare to come each morning on Sunday, Father, help us to prepare our heart, not just for worship, but to receive, maybe not even what Tim says, but in what he says, you can reveal something to each of us individually. That is the power of your word. We're all sitting here with different needs. Some have lost people. Some are going through great sickness. Father, some are just struggling financially. Some are struggling emotionally. But I say in the name of Jesus, you are God of it all, and we can be thankful in all things. As Paul and Silas were in that jail, in the inner part of that prison, singing songs, and the other prisoners listening as they sang. Father, help us in our situation to be thankful in every situation, not looking at our circumstance, but believing what Philippians 4, 8 says, that whatever is beautiful, whatever is true, whatever is good. Father, let us see our cup full, not half full, but full, because you are in us and us in you. And with that, the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. And now, Father, I pray for Tim as he comes. Father, empower his words to grip the heart of the hearer. Let us not just hear his words, but speak to us on a deeper level, Lord. And Father, I pray that for Jason as he leads in this Corinthians Bible study. Oh, Father, 
wake us up to realize that we need to be in your word and your word needs to be in us even more than us in the word. If it's not in us, it's just, just another book. So, Lord, I want to thank you. Thank you for the opportunity of saying even this prayer. And I pray, Father, that I've prayed your heart. That is always my heart each time I come before you with this congregation because these are your people. You know their needs more than I, more than anyone else. Father, you know their needs even more than you know their needs. So, Lord, meet them where they are this morning and throughout this week. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, amen. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Um, if you have the little half-sheet bulletin, I'm going to refer to a few things on there real quick for you. Tonight is the beginning of the First Corinthians study, and then it will continue every Sunday night for the month of July. It will be right here in this room starting at 6 o'clock. Uh, we do have childcare provided, so if you want to be a part of that and you have kids, then um, just... There's a sign-up sheet on that countertop. You can talk to Jason about it after the service, catch him, or just come at 6 o'clock tonight. Um, and it will, again, be right here in this room. Uh, additionally, this week we have a normal summer kids programming. That means that we have Terrific Tuesday on Tuesday afternoons. Um, you don't have to sign up ahead of time. Just bring your kids. You can ask Rika for information, or you can just bring your kids. At 1 o'clock on Tuesday, they'll get a craft, an activity, and a Bible lesson. It's really fun. My kids have done it a lot this summer. Um, so if you haven't done that, do that. Then on uh, Thursdays, we have preschool story time for kids as well, and uh, those details are in that bulletin. The ladies' ministry, you have a um, women's ice cream social on July the 14th, um, Thursday night, and you can sign up for that so they can get kind of an idea of numbers. It's really just a fellowship event for some of the women in the church to get together, spend time together, get to know each other better, grow in relationship, build relationships together. Uh, then on the 21st, um, actually, let me, let me back up for a second here. Um, this is not our normal room. You all know this. Um, this room is smaller than our normal room. Um, and we are at about um, six weeks until we get back into, back into the big room. So preparations are, are ramping up. Things are moving. We're, we're going to get there, guys. I promise we, we will get there to where we're back in the big room together. So that will mean some changes. And one of the areas in which we will need some more volunteer help is in the area of our tech team. And so they have scheduled a dinner and training for interested volunteers on the 21st because we had to strip some things down when we came in here in a smaller setting. Um, we haven't used as many volunteers in that ministry um, over the last few months, but we need to get back to having more volunteers in there. So whether that means um, running sound or running video, running a camera, or um, running the words on a screen, any of those, we need, we need more people who could be involved in any of those tasks on Sunday morning during the service. And so talk to David, um, Pasqua after the service, or Jason if you have questions about that. There's a sign-up sheet there on the, um, on the countertop as well for that. Uh, another thing that um, we sent out an email this week, and so if you were on the email address or on the email list, you might have gotten it. Um, but one week from today, we're going to thank Rika for her first year of ministry here at Fellowship. Her one-year anniversary was 
in June, and then we finish a great VBS week. Next week, we're going to see a video highlighting um, what, what God did through our VBS, and we're also going to have uh, a short time in the service to just thank Rika for um, leading that ministry to our kids. So we have a basket out at the uh, welcome table between the buildings where you can drop cards, and it will be here next week as well if you have a card to, to just send a message to Rika and show her appreciation. Um, now I'm going to show you a video. This is from our uh, youth trip to Phoenix, Arizona. Um, we sent seven students and three adults on this mission trip at the beginning of June. And the amazing opportunity that these kids had is this was actually, and actually what I'm going to do, I'm going to go ahead and, and give some explanation. We're going to cut the live stream for a moment. Um, one of your challenges for this week is to thank any of these um, kids that you see around today in person. Go up to them. There's, there's a few over here um, that I didn't make come and stand up here. Um, but if you see any faces that you saw in the video around today, whether it's AJ, Sally, and Daniela, or the students, there are a few right over here in this section, so you can make your way over here. Um, but feel free to ask them personally. You know, what we, we only were able to, to give you what two of the students said about their experiences. They all have really good and strong experiences from their, their time there. So thank them for being available to be used um, by God in this trip. And, uh, and just go ask them directly what, what God did in them. Um, we're going in a different direction this morning. Um, and I'm going to ask you the question, a simple question with all sorts of implications. Uh, why are you here? And we could go deep with the, the really philosophical existential question about why do you exist and why did God put you on this planet? But I'm going actually a little bit more simple, as much as that's a good question, going a little bit more simple than that and asking the question, why are you here in this room right now? Why are you gathered with a local church? There was a time when this was a very normal thing for people to do within our society, and, and that time has shifted and it's not as normal or not as, um, as common for people to take their Sunday morning to gather together as a local body of believers that we call a church. It's, it, the statistics show, the last statistics I read, showed that 70% of American churches never recovered their pre-COVID attendance levels. So some, something has shifted and we can blame COVID a lot, but it's, it's really not just COVID. There were all sorts of things happening in our society that were exacerbated by this huge cultural thing that we all experienced. Um, and so it's not just about a disease. It's about um, political issues, and it's about societal issues, and it's about family issues, and all sorts of different things. And just overall societal trends have led us to this place where... The church as an institution is not as well thought of or respected in our society as it once was. And some of that, let's say, I've said this before, and I think it's, a, it's right to acknowledge, some of that is the church's fault. Because sometimes Christians do mess up. Sometimes Christians lose sight of the mission of what God is doing, and sometimes Christians um, misuse opportunities or positions of power or positions of leadership um, for the wrong reasons. So there are those stories out there. We, we shouldn't just dismiss those stories that you see in the news of church leaders and church volunteers doing bad, wrong things. We call out sin when it is sin, and, and we need to be honest 
that that happens, and we as a church need to fight against those things. But beyond those, those reasons, there's all sorts of reasons why somebody might want to be in a place where they think church is a value for their family, and then over time, move away from it. Um, as I was thinking about where we would go in July and August, um, I'm going to give you the plan. I'm going to give you a little insider information on how I think through what I do in this time and how I present the word to you on a Sunday morning. Uh, as I said, Lamentations was something that was stirring in my heart and mind for two years to spend six weeks uh, going through the book of Lamentations. And I enjoyed that. I hope we learned about what it means to relate to God in times of suffering and despair, how it meant, what it means to pray honest prayers to God. Um, this one has been stirring for about that, that period of time. And, and this two months is going to be focused on what we do when we gather. And the first question for today is simply why we gather. Why are we here? Why does this matter? Why is this a value to us as believers in Jesus? But, but then to go beyond why we gather in the weeks ahead, we're going to talk about uh, what we do when we gather, why we, uh, why we read and preach the Word of God and center what we do around that, why we sing, why we pray corporate prayers, uh, why, we, why we baptize, uh, why, we, uh, why we do the Lord's Supper, one week each on each of these um, things that we do when we gather together. That's going to be July and August. But for today, the question is simply, why are we here? Why is it important that we gather together? Here's the other thing that we've learned over the last couple of years. We've learned that you can mimic some of the functions of the local church through technology. And, and we've, we've done that. We have tried to do that as, as well as we possibly could as a church. And so right now, there are people that are watching us from their own homes that are live streaming. And we are going to continue to do that because we think that's a valuable ministry. However, I will say, as we continue to live stream and as we so value those of you that are at home live streaming right now, we still are going to, as a church, emphasize in-person gatherings as God's design for the church. For physical people to be in a physical place, gather together in the presence of each other and in the presence of God for His glory. That, that's our goal here. And, and as I said, all of the, there's all sorts of things that we do that in coming weeks we're going to talk about. So this week we're not going to talk about why we, we sing and pray and all those things. That's, that's not our goal for this week. Our goal for this week is to establish the truth, to establish it in all of our minds together, that being physically gathered in the same room matters. And that's what God's design is for the local church. And, you know, it, it would be really easy be really easy for us to gather together and to tell stories about why people that we love and care about have disengaged from local churches. It would be really easy to trade stories back and forth of why many of us at times have disengaged from local churches or at least been tempted to and questioned what's the value of coming to a local church, submitting to local church leadership, and, and becoming a part of a local church family. Because here's the truth. You know it and I know it. You can find better teaching online than what you can hear in this room. 
That's me saying it. You don't have to say it. I'll say it for you. You can find better Bible teaching online. I'll say it too. You can find better music online than what Jason can produce from this stage in here. You can find lots of good content, Bible teaching, worship music, good stuff online. And that's so valuable. And I encourage you to pursue that. But I also am going to tell you, gathering together in a local church, within a local community, in a physical location, is God's design for his kingdom. And that's, that's what we're hoping to establish today. And so when you have that conversation with your friend who's disengaged from a local church, who hasn't been back in years, has no interest in going back, and they ask you, why do you still do it? I hope you have an answer. But, but maybe today I'll, I'll, hope you, I'll, I'll help you sort of uh, strengthen your answer, your response to that friend with, with a little bit of Scripture that you can use as to why uh, Scripture tells us these gatherings of a local church are so vital within God's purposes and plans. Uh, it's July 4th. Uh, well, it's July 3rd, sorry. It's the weekend of the 4th. It's a weekend to celebrate our country. And, and guys, this is, this is valuable. I hope that you have, have a good weekend of celebrating. Maybe you've celebrated already. Maybe you're shooting off fireworks tonight. Um, I thought it would be really cool if Jason shot a fireworks after 1 Corinthians tonight, but I don't think he's going to do that. That was my suggestion, but what do I know? Um, but whatever you do, celebrate this weekend. It's an important anniversary, a celebration for our country. One of the things that July 4th tells us is that there is strength in numbers. So like when we ask that question that's on the screen, why should we gather? There's a really practical answer that we know on this weekend in the history of our own nation, what happens when a bunch of individuals come together to become a group. See, as individuals, you have a certain amount of influence, you have a certain amount of power and strength, but when individuals d decide to share a common goal, and become like-minded, and, and, and seek to accomplish the same thing together. Individuals can form a group, and groups can make change. And groups can do incredible things. We see that throughout the history of the church, and this weekend we celebrate that within the history of our own nation. Like-minded people called together by a, by a singular purpose and common goals can accomplish incredible things, and we celebrate that this weekend. But then with the church, we ask the question, there's a practical answer why we should gather that there's strength in numbers and there's strength in community of sharing common purposes and goals. But in going to Scripture, I'm going to give you two ways. I'm going to answer this question in two ways. And the first one, I'm going to give you the storyline of Scripture. And we're not going to jump into every individual Scripture along this this line, but I'm going to give you a short survey of the storyline of Scripture in six parts to answer this question of why we should gather. And then the second part of the sermon today, I'm going to Hebrews 10, and we're going to see six, there are two groups of sixes, that wasn't intentional, it just happens, six parts of the storyline of Scripture, and then six truths from Hebrews 10 about why we gather. First, we should gather because God shows us throughout the storyline of Scripture that he wants his people to be gathered in his place within, and experience his presence and blessing. God's people, God's place, God's blessing. First, Garden of Eden, God's people, Adam and Eve. 
God's place, Eden. And God's presence is walking amongst the people in the garden. And then that relationship is ruptured. And God's kingdom of God's people, God's place in the garden of Eden, that is ruptured because sin enters into the world through Adam and Eve. Sin severs that relationship with God and Adam and Eve are removed from the garden. And then God enacts a plan to deal with the sin problem because now his people are born into sin, born with a sin nature, and every person that has ever lived since has sinned willfully because of their sin nature. Now God is going to provide a solution. The first stage in that, God's people in God's place, God's presence, and that's Canaan. And God's people are Abraham. Abraham and his descendants form God's nation, and the place that he has designed for that nation to grow is Canaan. And so God's people, Abraham and his descendants, God's place, Canaan, under God's blessing and, pre- and with living it within God's presence. But God's goal throughout the Old Covenant Scriptures is to reveal more and more of his presence to his people until we get to the New Covenant and then we get to the end. Because ultimately, we're going garden to to city. We're going the garden of Eden being reestablished as we get back to the city of God, Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem in the eternal kingdom. And along the way, the storyline of Scripture is moving God's presence And God's people, God's place. So garden, Canaan, and then the wilderness. God's people are enslaved in Egypt. God actually moves his people to Egypt, and they moves them out of Egypt. And as he moves them out of Egypt, his people are solidified as a nation as he is present with them. And how does he reveal his presence in the wilderness? Actually, three ways in the wilderness. Pillar of fire by night, pillar of cloud by day and the tabernacle where God dwells in the midst of the nation all the time. God wants his people to be dwelling in the place he puts them and to be dwelling in his presence. He wants his presence to be the unifying factor that brings his people together. And then you get to Jerusalem, the kingdom of Israel in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the center of God's activity And and that is where God is dwelling first in the tabernacle, later in the temple. God's people, the nation of Israel, dwelling in Jerusalem under God's blessing. But all the way, God's people sin and, and, and refuse to live under God's rule and authority. And so God is revealing in stages his, his ultimate purpose and plan. And then we see Jesus, God's presence among people again. So the, the tabernacle was great. The temple was great. Jesus was better because Jesus was God himself putting on human flesh to dwell in the midst of his people. So when Jesus was on earth, that was God's presence with, within the people. But then we live in the best age yet, in the church age, in which we now are living as a part of God's kingdom, in, as God's people, his church, his bride, in the presence of God as his Holy Spirit indwells believer, and the church is God's place of blessing. Now, Jesus says to the woman at the well, John chapter 4, the woman at the well is a Samaritan, and she's asking Jesus, where are we supposed to worship? 
Are we supposed to worship in Jerusalem like your people say? Or are we supposed to worship here in Samaria like my people say? It doesn't matter. And Jesus answers the question, the time is coming and is now here, when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. And let me tell you what that means. That means that the place of worship is spirit and truth. The place of worship is not Jerusalem or Samaria, but it can be Dalton, Georgia. But the other thing that Scripture reveals to us is that he has this group of people in mind called the church. The the Greek word there, the word that shows up in the New Testament describing the church is a word called ekklesia, and ekklesia means assembly, people that are called into an assembly together. You cannot say the word church without referencing the assembling of the church. And so in this stage of God's work with with humanity, what he is calling us to do is to assemble. And he's calling us to, just like he always has, assemble around his presence. Just as the people in the wilderness were assembled around the tabernacle, just as Jerusalem was built around the temple, just as Jesus gathered followers around himself so that he could be present with him, now we as a church assemble together in the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what God is doing in us. This matters. Being in the same room gathered together matters. And I think it's proven by the entire storyline of Scripture. And then the story ends with a wedding ceremony where his church, God's assembly of people, is also called Jesus' bride. And so we are, in one sense, a group of people, but then as a people, we are a unit. And that unit is the bride of Christ. And at the end, God has a wedding ceremony where Jesus and the bride have a fuller sense of the presence of each other and we dwell with Christ forever in his eternal kingdom. And so when I'm, everything I say over the next eight weeks, when I talk about gathering, I want you to know the main reason why we gather is because when we gather together, the Spirit is here with us. Now, is the Spirit with you as you sit in your room individually and pray? Yes. But a fuller sense of the Spirit's work and blessing is present through God's design of His church, which He calls to assemble together. And so when we gather together, we gather in His presence and in His power. This is what God has designed for us to do. Now, here's the thing about us. We're really good at being individuals. We're not really good at being a community unit. All people are like this. People are are, are prone toward selfishness. People are prone to protect their own desires and their own needs. It's an easy thing to default to do. And, And so that happens within Christianity as well. There are many believers out there that will say they affirm Jesus and believe in Jesus and they think that the best path towards growth for them is to be sitting in their room uh, listening to a sermon from somebody they they don't know or reading a book on on their own or sitting out in the wilderness, that that is their church, their plan for growth. And what I'm telling you is that God can and does work through those settings, through individual believers, but that is not God's design. God's design for the Christian life is for it to be lived together. People to live in community. 
for a church to not be a person. A one-person church inherently cannot assemble together. And that's what the word means. And so a church is a group of people that are called to assemble. And so, stubbornly, that's what we're going to keep doing. Even when society moves away from that and we all have, have other things that we could be doing on Sunday morning, and I realize that. We're going to fight that trend to say God has called his church to assemble together on his day. The day that Jesus rose from the dead, Sunday morning, we are going to continue to assemble together. That's a beautiful thing to do from Scripture. So, now, I gave you an overview of Scripture. There's scriptural support for, every, for those six stages I just gave you. But now I want to dive in to Hebrews 10, okay? I don't usually do what I just did and just tell you what Scripture says without citing anything. But now we're going to get into the meat of what, what I feel like God is saying to us today through Hebrews chapter 10, the second way of responding to why we gather. He shows us in this one passage, Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. So out of this passage, I want us to look at together six truths about our gathering and why we gather. But before I show you those six truths, I want to show you the structure of the verse here. In 19 through 27 here, I think we have a, a pretty clear structure of what, what the author of Hebrews is trying to tell us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There's a therefore that starts this whole passage. Therefore, since we have confidence, and then there are three let us's. There are three, uh, not individual commands, but first person plural commands. Let us do this together. Okay, so everything in this paragraph is corporate. It's plural, first person plural. We, let us, let us, we. That is the, the tone of this passage. So since we share this common confidence in verse 19, let us then respond to it in three different ways. By drawing near, by holding fast, and by stirring up. And then our warning at the end. If you neglect to do this, here's the warning, okay? So out of those, those points here, we're going to get six truths about the reasons that we gather together. Number one, and this is the foundation, and without this foundation, everything else I say is worthless if we don't get the foundation of number one right. We gather because of confidence in the gospel. If Christ is not risen, then there is no point to what we are doing. If we believe a false message, if the good news that we proclaim is not true, then we are just a community organization and we're kind of a bad one at that. 
If we're just a community organization that has some fun together, that does some good things to serve the community, but, but the gospel is not true, then we're spending the most of our resources proclaiming a false message. But if the gospel is true, then it is the thing that matters the most. And so we need to together, let us together share this confidence. The strength of the church is built on the foundation of a common belief in the gospel. And if we are wavering on that belief, if we are questioning whether there are other ways to be right with God, if we are questioning whether Jesus rose from the dead, if we are questioning whether the Bible is trustworthy, then that is going to erode the foundation and everything that gets built on that foundation is going to be faulty. So this confidence, this confidence of verse 19 is the foundation. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now, what does that mean? The holy places... The author of Hebrews is referring to the temple of God, where only the priest could enter into once a year and, and offer the sacrifice. But what, what he's saying here, look at what he's saying. We can all now enter into the holy presence of God because the blood of Jesus has been given to us. So now we all stand in just as privileged a position as the greatest priest of the old covenant. We all stand in that privileged position of having a direct line to God, a direct relationship with God. And, and hear me on this. The individual relationship with God is, is vital. It's important. You become a child of God, not because of the group that you join, but because of the individual confession of faith where you confess your own sins, you repent of your sins, and you believe. That is an individual decision, and yet it brings you into a community. And so let, let's be clear here. There's, a, there's an individual aspect to it, but there's also a communal aspect to our faith. And so you enter into the family by individually being saved, and your heart is renewed yourself. But then, as, as God is the one that does the renewing, but then, once you are saved, you're a part of a new community. And you no longer see yourself as an individual in all ways. You see yourself as a hand or a foot, as a part of the body of Jesus. But we have to have this confidence that God created us to be in relationship with him and as worshipers of him. Our sin separated us from God when we missed the mark. And every single one of us individually, willfully rebelled against God. And then... God sent Jesus to be a sacrifice to pay for that sin, and by his blood, we can now enter with confidence because we have repented of our sins and received the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because the grave is empty, because when Christ died, he was risen again, we can have confidence in the new life, the eternal life we have in him. So that's confident. That, that's number one. It has to be number one. Everything else that follows um, builds from that. So one truth, we gather because of confidence in the gospel. Truth number two comes in verse 22. We gather around Jesus. Just as the, the people in Israel gathered around the tabernacle, and the tabernacle was living, or God's presence was living in the tabernacle in the center of the camp, and the temple was in the center of Jerusalem, and everybody was gathered around it. When we gather, we gather because of Jesus. And we center what we do on Jesus, because he has made the way. The only way 
for one sinful human to be connected to another sinful human and to really be in, in real unity and relationship is through the power of God and through Christ. It is union with Christ that allows people that are very, very different to somehow be unified. And here's the thing. Church gets messy. Church gets messy because people are different. And sometimes people are just downright unlikable. And if we're, and listen, this is an honest space here, so we can be honest. Every single one of you has had an experience within a local church where you're coming into a local church with somebody that just kind of rubs you the wrong way. Not everybody is comfortable around everybody. Not everybody immediately gels and connects with every other person within a local church. There are some people Let's just call a spade a spade. There are some people within a local church that just get downright get on your nerves. And you love some people in this church dearly, but then there are some people that are like, eh, it's not my preference. I'd, I'd rather not be in a life group with that person. I'd rather not go to lunch after church with that person. I'd rather do it with this person over here. But the, the thing about the local church is that in Christ, we have unity with each other. And, and here's the thing that that was impressed on me um, years ago. We took a trip um, to West Africa with our missionaries, the Joyces. And um, we were sitting there with brothers and sisters in Christ with whom we shared nothing but Jesus. We, we could barely communicate. We could only use translators because we didn't share the same language. The cultures were, were drastically different. We were staying in villages with no power, no, no electricity, no running water, no nothing, and just out in the middle of nowhere. And the only thing that we could possibly have in common was Jesus. And it was in that moment that God taught me a lesson that I have more unity with one of those brothers than somebody that lives down the street from me that doesn't share Christ. Now, now think about it this way, okay? There could be somebody who loves all the same hobbies that you love. They, this, this person, they cheer for the same sports teams. They live on the same street. They vote the same way. They listen to the same music. They like the same movies. They, like this, they wear the same clothes. And if that person does not know Christ then even though you can sit down and you can talk about all sorts of peripheral things with that person, you do not share real unity with that person. You are closer in relation to this other person on the other side of the world that shares Jesus, but not your language. You are more connected to that person over here than the person that may be just like you in every way except for your love of Jesus. That's the power of Jesus drawing a community together. It's not that we're against those people that are not a part of the, of the church, that are not believers in Jesus. That's just the radical unity that a shared conviction of Christ and a shared new life in the Spirit brings together. We are radically unified together. And he's the only center that makes sense. Number three, when we gather, we gather to hold fast. Verse 23 tells us, let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. It's almost like the author of Hebrews knew there would be some sort of challenge. 
knew that your faith would be challenged in some way, knew that culture, society would affect your faith in such a way that it is hard. It's hard to hold on when you're suffering, when you're being ridiculed, when your friends turn away from you, when they don't like the decisions you're making for for your life or your family. It is hard to hold fast. But we gather because there's strength in numbers as you hold fast. So last week, as we were... um, in VBS, and, and I mean, my kids were here all the time doing, doing different things, and when we were cleaning up um, VBS stuff, they pull a rope out of the, the closet here, and there's like six kids in the gym that have this rope, and they decide they're going to do, they're going to do tug of war, and in that tug of war, there was a, an, an amazing picture for me. You know, one of the cool things, everything in society seems to be changing, but one thing that has remained the same since my childhood is that when you go to field day at an elementary school, the most exciting part of field day is tug of war. And it is, this, it is the crescendo of the whole day where everybody gets really excited. That's when people cheer the loudest. That's when, that's when the parents scream their heads off and get really probably more excited than they should. But that, and that's where the kids, that's what all the kids, and it's not just the boys, the girls too, They're talking about it all day. They're excited about the tug-of-war. Well, here's the difference between two-on-two tug-of-war that I saw in the gym this week versus the 20-on-20 tug-of-war. There's something really cool about the 20-on-20 tug-of-war because here's the thing. Um, Kids don't really know how to do tug-of-war, at least not all of them. Some of them you see, like dad coached them up, and they they know what they're doing, and they've got their footwork right, and then you see the other little boys, and... And every little boy wants to show off how strong he is. And these little boys get really caught up in, in their arm strength and totally forget about their legs. And they think they're just going to win it on their arms alone and forgot, forget about where their feet are going. So inevitably, in one of these big class-on-class tug-of-wars, you see 20-on-20, somebody's going to lose their footing. Somebody's going to drop going to slip on the, on the dirt, lose their footing, go to the ground, and then have to get back up and, and delay the whole thing. Here's the thing about two-on-two tug-of-war. That happens, you're toast. You're done. One person loses their footing. One person loses the rope, lets their hand off of the rope. One person uh, lets, their, lets their eye wander, get distracted. You're toast. Two-on-two, you're, you're done. 20-on-20, there's something different. Because here's what I watch happen when my kids do tug-of-war. There's always somebody, 20 on 20, there's always somebody struggling. There's always somebody that hits the ground while everybody else is standing up. There's always somebody that loses sight of the goal. There's always somebody that loses their grip on the rope. And, and this is, this is what, what happens when we gather together to hold fast. When there's 19 sets of hands on the rope and you lose it, and you lose your fitting and you hit the deck, there's still 19 other people there to help you hold fast. And and if you're there on the rope by yourself, if your mission in life is to live your life on your own, then you stumble, which everybody does. You stumble, there's nobody there. Ecclesiastes tells us that that two are better than one because you want one to pick you up when one falls. But then it says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Think about a tug-of-war team with 20 people on that rope. When one falls and the others, 19, hold fast, hold your place, and help you get back up to keep back going. Life is hard. 
I hope six weeks of Lamentations helped us be honest with ourselves about this. In this world, you will suffer. You will face despair. You will face doubt. You will face excruciating physical and relational pain. And God calls us together so that we can hold fast together. Because when one falls down, there needs to be another to pick them up. When one drops the rope, there's a team there that's able to hold them up and keep them moving. And so the the highlight of this verse, probably the passage that most of us know the best, verse 24, is point four on my list. We gather together for encouragement. Let us consider how to stir, how to stir one another up to love and good works and not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. The author of Hebrews knows it would be easy to fall into the habit of not meeting together, to fall into the habit of discouraging the corporate gathering of the body. This was one of the great challenges we faced over the last two years of how to do it within all of the concerns about COVID-19. And let me give you a secret here. No church got it right in every way. If, and, and here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing about the way everybody worked out the gathering of believers throughout this, the COVID-19 period of early 2020 and in 21 and everything, is that you'll see people that, that will come to different churches, and maybe, and maybe some of you are part of this, so this is not criticism in anything, but you'll see people that say, well, my church was too strict. And you'll see other people say, my church was, was not strict enough. And then those people will leave these two other churches and end up in the same place. Oh, that's happened here. Every pastor I know, when we sit down, we talk about how the COVID-19 aftermath, they'll say, yeah, I've got people that have started coming to my church because their church that they came from didn't take COVID seriously enough. And then I've got other people that have come to my church in the last year. Their church took COVID too seriously, and they both came to my church. And I'm like, well, then you just shepherd who God gives you. And, And this is the crazy thing about all the challenges that we have faced. Nobody's gotten it all, the, all right all the time, but the goal is to not neglect, not discourage the gathering of the body together. We as a church, the thing that makes us unique is we faced another challenge along the way. It's right when things were, were really starting to go and our attendance was really starting to go up in the aftermath of COVID, um, somebody decided to uh, kick us out of the front building. And now we're here in a different setting, in a smaller room, and now we've got the whole like worship in a cave atmosphere going on out here. <laughs> there are windows in the other building, I swear. Um, and we will. I said six, six weeks, okay? Um, but um, that's not like the money pit two weeks thing. That's not going to be like that. It's six weeks. Um, but we've got people in the back room we, right behind us here. We've got people still gathering over there in the gym because we can't fit everybody in here. We've got people going or still worshiping at home because of, of how tight the fit is in here. And so we have, there's all sorts of reasons. There's all sorts of reasons for people to be discouraged about the gathering of the believers. And, and the thing that makes me so grateful about this church, about who we are, is we've continued to do that. And this is what we must do. This is what God calls us to. But here's, here's the thing that God calls us to do as we, as we gather. To, to stir things up. To stir each other up. We are called to stir one another up for love. To love God when times are hard. To love your neighbor. To love your family. To love the lost. 
We're also called to gather to encourage each other to love and good deeds. We're encouraged to serve the community, to preach the gospel. And here's where I think, I think the, the leadership role exists within this passage. I think the elders, the ministers of this church, the ministry leaders, whatever teachers, life group leaders, etc., we're the ones that are leading the stirring. And so one of my jobs up here is to stir you up. I'm not just here to, to teach, although that, that's a big part of it, but preaching is teaching with an end in mind, teaching with a goal that you are going to grow in Christ's likeness and you're going to live out your conviction and your fellowship with Christ in a real way. I want to stir you up. And, and AJ's goal is to stir the youth up, and sometimes it takes taking them to Phoenix to get them stirred up to love and good deeds. And Rika at VBS, her goal is to stir up the kids to love and good deeds and to, to receive Christ in salvation and then to grow to learn what that's like. Jason, as he, as he gathers you guys tonight to do some teaching, to step out of what we normally see Jason doing and, and stirring us up through worship every Sunday morning, Jason, as he brings you here tonight to teach the Word, stir up to love and good deeds. But then, as we stir up, we, we want to see you being a part of this too. Because God has called every member of the church to be a minister and to do the work of ministry within a local church. So in a sense then, the person on stage leading a ministry is the coach that calls the play. And, and the coach that calls the play isn't actually going to be the one that makes the, the execution of the play successful. But, but the really, the playing field is Monday through Saturday. Certainly, this is a huge part of the Christian life. We gather together, we worship, we encourage one another so that Monday through Saturday, we can live the Christian life and be faithful disciples of Him. And so here's the play for today. As you leave this place today, do not leave without talking to somebody. Listen, introvert, I, I will confess to being an introvert as I'm about to say what I'm going to say here, Okay. There are times in my life when I would love nothing more than to walk into a room with people and then to walk out of that room with people and not have said a word to anybody. That is a part of my personality and the way I'm patterned. So I get it if that's you. But what we're called in the local church to do is to encourage one another and to love one another. And maybe you're in a place where you think, well, I just wish somebody would, would encourage me. Well, sometimes, listen, I apologize, and sometimes we as a church, we're, we're kind of thick. We don't get it all the time. We kind of, we sometimes we don't see who is struggling and who is hurting. And so if you are struggling and if you are hurting, then, then reach out and let us love you with, and, and stir you up and encourage you. But, but if you're in a place where you're thinking, man, I wish somebody would, would come and ask me how I'm doing. I wish somebody would invite me to lunch. I wish somebody would invite me to coffee, invite me over maybe maybe what God is calling you to do is to, to be the bold one to make that first move. Because we've probably all seen and experienced a rich time in church. Most people that come to church at Value Church have lived in a season of life where they've seen church work. I am here in 2022 because in 2004 I saw the church work. In 2003, my parents moved. I was, I was uh, 17 years old, and my parents moved away. They were six hours away. And I went into my senior year of high school living with my older brother. 
and it was just the two of us. Everybody else was, was six hours away. And my brother, he was, a, he was in college at the time. And when the two of us stayed, my dad took a new job, and we stayed in our hometown, just my brother and I. And in that move, I saw the church work because people knew, hey, there's that high school senior that parents moved six hours away. And I don't, I don't want to make light of it. It was a hard decision for everybody. But it was a decision that God used for my family, used for my life going forward, because my parents were right where they were supposed to be. My sister was right where she was supposed to be. My brother and I were right where, he, where we were supposed to be. Because Roger and Don Smith, people that you never know, names that you've never heard before, they brought us to their house every Sunday for lunch that entire year. And they just gave us a family. And I always knew that I was welcome at Roger and Don's house when I didn't have parents that lived in the state. And, and I knew that they were just one of about 10 different families that I could call if we had a need. And so I believe in the church today because I saw the way it worked then. And many of us have had that experience. We've seen how it works. And maybe some of us are now in the place where it's like, I wish it worked like it did then. And my encouragement to you is be a part of that change to make this church and your sphere of influence in this church work that way again. When nobody invites you somewhere, you invite somebody somewhere. When you're not being reached out to the way you would like, don't just, don't just retreat into yourself, but call somebody else, text somebody else, come up to somebody on a Sunday morning. One of the great blessings of being in this room is nobody is sitting where they were 20 years ago. And when we were over there, there were some people that are still sitting in the same spot that they were 20 years ago. That's not an option over here anymore. So God stirred us up. And as we are stirred up, Let's stir up each other for love and good deeds. Two more points before we close. Six truths about our gathering, number five and six. Verse 26 tells us, all the more as you see the day drawing near. And this means two things. We, I just simply said we gather more when days get harder. Um, in a sense, it might even mean we gather with more intention as the days get harder. As we face more uh, crises in life and society, as it seems like the world grows darker, our gathering should be more intentional. And we should do more to encourage each other in our gatherings and in our scattering. Because part of being gathered, like if you're going to gather together, you have to start scattered in order to gather. And the church is both. The church is gathered together and scattered out into the places of our community to preach the gospel and live the Christian life. And so when we gather, we do it with more intention as we see the days get darker around us. We must prepare for suffering. We must prepare and encourage each other for days of suffering. And number six, we gather to avoid sin and judgment. Here's the thing about being a Christian. Going to church does not make you a Christian. Please hear that from me. You do not receive Christ because you go to church and you love the church and you are committed to the church. You receive Christ through receiving the work of Christ, individually repenting and receiving, okay? But, so going to church doesn't make you a Christian, but a lack of desire to go to church or be around any other Christians at all may reveal something about your life and heart. And there, there may be something 
that is broken inside. And I think what, what verse 26 and 27 is warning us of is that people who name the name of Christ but avoid the fellowship of Christ's body and bride may be on their way towards sin and judgment without knowing it. Because if you do not love the church and if you do not want to be around other Christians and you do not want the encouragement of other Christians, it may show a lack of love for Christ and it may show that your soul is not really saved by the work of Christ. That's the warning of 26 and 27. And so we can't leave this place without the warning. The call is clear. Receive the gospel, gather together. The warning is if you're not gathering together, there may be something deeply, eternally broken inside. And therefore, it's time to hear the gospel again and receive it. So I'll close it with, with three action points. Know, gather, stir. Know the gospel. Have confidence in the gospel. Receive the life that Christ offers to you. And then gather with other believers for the sake of worship, fellowship, the word, and mission, and find somebody to stir up to love and good deeds. As we close in song, we're going to sing about the foundation on which we build our lives. And it is, and it can only be, the love of Christ displayed by shedding his blood on the cross. So please stand and sing with us. Worthy of every song we could ever sing And worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe And we live for you Jesus, the name above every other name Jesus, the only one you could ever say. You're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, and we live for you.
Father, we do um, proclaim that truth. There is no other foundation upon which we can build our lives than who Jesus is and what he has done and the love that is shown for us. And so, Father, this day as we gather, we proclaim and we celebrate, we praise you, O oh Father. And Father, as we receive your blessing in Christ's name, we do so because of the blood that has been shed. And so in confidence now, we receive the blessing from the Lord. Here's the blessing from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.